You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Is the thing that I know that I should do, I do it not, right? And he cries out in desperation, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? And praise God, he goes on to declare, you know, it's through Jesus Christ. And it's only through Jesus Christ. But every one of us has this dormant sin lying within us. The old man is always ready, if given the opportunity, to jump up once again upon the throne of our lives and take control. And we need to be aware of this. Does it seem like you just can't get a break from the temptations Satan puts in your life day after day after day? Unfortunately, it's the reality that you and I must live in until Jesus comes back for us. Sin is the way Satan distracts you and I from how God has called us to live. Today in his message, Pastor Mike reminds us that so many of the great people we study in the Bible struggled with temptation. God was with them then, and He's with us today, to walk us through the difficult days we face. Lean on Him. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 34, as he continues his message, Blessings and Warning. So the point is, is that teenagers are not always capable of making good choices. Eventually, they'll develop those capacities, but their brain hasn't been developed as such. And that's why parents, you know, children always don't make the right kinds of choices. Man, we've raised five kids, and when they were younger, you know, sometimes they made the wrong choices. And now it's, you know, it's funny. Some of my kids now who are older, one of my sons is back here today, and they would say to me, you know, now I understand why you were so strict with us, or why you prevented us from doing this, or why you prevented... Now we understand raising their own children, you know. Now my children have children. We have grandchildren. And, and now they understand things, right? They have a different perspective. But I think it has something to do with the development of their brains as, as well. But the problem is, for Dinah, is simply... She had not been chaperoned. Think about that. At that age, she should have been chaperoned by one of her parents. You see, a teenager needs someone at that age to watch out for them. It's a good thing. And yes, it may be embarrassing for them. Oh, great. Dad's coming along with us to the, you know, to the, to the birthday party or whatever. Or we're keeping tests. We're driving them there. Okay, we'll let them out, and then we're giving them certain perimeters and guidelines 
You're only going to be here for an hour. You're not going to leave the, you know, you can do it. When I say chaperone, it doesn't mean that you're like, you know, hand in hand with them walking into somebody's birthday party. But you're in control of the situation. You're preventing them from being injured. Remember, at that age, they're extremely vulnerable to the wrong kinds of people. And God help us, we know that the wrong kinds of people are all over the place. Just about every day we hear of all of these crazy things broadcast on the 6 o'clock news of children being taken advantage of. People driving up to the, the curbs or where they're standing and trying to you know, get them to get into their cars with them. It just grieves you, doesn't it? You know what I'm talking about. We have to protect our children. It's a good thing. And so Jacob is at fault here, not Dinah. He first made the wrong choice to move to that area and live among those people, the Hivites, who obviously had little regard for the sanctity of life. If that wasn't the case, Shechem would have never done what he had done to a 14, 15-year-old girl. And then later, Jacob is indecisive during the proposal of marriage. He says nothing. He actually defers to his sons, who take, as we've already discovered, who take matters into their own hands, who then plots to kill all of the villagers within the city of Shechem. And then after the whole thing happens, there's a weak and whining complaint by Jacob. Notice, jump ahead to chapter 34 in verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, who have just killed all of the male population, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. He's just thinking about himself. Do you see that there? Oh, man, how weak. So, here's the question. Another question. Let me put this one to you. Why did Jacob fail? Could it be attributed to his spiritual poverty, that he wasn't where he should have been spiritually speaking? Was it a weakness in his character or his personality? Well, I don't know, because the Bible actually doesn't tell us. But why do so many fathers fail today? What would be the answer? How would you respond to that question? Well, they're too busy. Too busy maybe making a living or whatever. Or they're simply afraid of their kids. They're afraid of their kids' objections. You can't chaperone me. Hey, don't interfere. You know, Bobby over here, their mother and father doesn't interfere, right? And uh, why don't you be like the other parents, Dad? You know, get off of my case. When my kids used to do that, I actually had a paddle, and it actually said on it, the Board of Correction was actually printed on it. And all I'd have to do is take that thing out, man. Anyway, that would be the end of the conversation. No, but we always tried to do it fairly. We would always explain to them. You know, there's a time for that. There's a time when they're too old for corporal punishment. But there's definitely a time when we should discipline them. But you know what? You should explain to them why you're going to spank them and why you're going to discipline them and let them know after you've disciplined them, that you still love them. You know, some parents, I've seen them, they just slap their kids off the top of their heads, and then they just walk away from them. 
you know, first of all, explain to them what, why you're going to do what you're about to do. And you're setting perimeters and boundaries for them. They realize that if they step outside of those perimeters, there's, it's dangerous. And they can be injured. They can be hurt. And they need to be careful. But there's a time for that, only when they're young. You, you don't spank a 14, 15-year-old kid, understand. You'll only break their spirit. But there's always a time for that. But after you do spank them, you make sure that you take that child to yourself and reaffirm your love for them. You hug them after you've spanked them. It kills me. Listen, I, I used to hate it, honestly. When I'd pick out the board and I'd spank them, you know, and just lay into them, and they'd start crying. And it killed me. I would say, oh, man. Because you know what? I was 10 times worse than any of my children growing up, <laughs> really. And I think one of the reasons why I was, because my mom and dad, I, th- I can only remember once when my dad disciplined me, like corp- with corporal punishment. And I, I think all of the while, and I think that was some of the reason why I was as crazy as I was growing up. I never had really discipline within my life. So anyway, there's a place for that, and I, I just wanted to you know, pass that along to you. So the kids might object, yes, right? But don't be swayed by that. They need that. This is an important part of the development of your children. Hey, listen, parents, get on this. Protect your kids. Guide your kids. Discipline your kids. Love your kids. And don't worry about what they're going to say or what they're going to think. Would you do that for me, please? I'm embarrassed for some parents, to be honest with you. And I don't like to interfere. I don't want to say things that, you know, and uh, because, you know, I figure, you know, God's big enough to, to show them themselves. They don't need to hear it from me or whatever. But have you ever been, like, walking through the malls or whatever, and you see the way parents discipline their kids, slapping them around? And everything? You feel terrible for the kids. You feel like going over and saying something to the parents. And if, in fact, I saw any kind of abuse, I would do exactly that. But praise the Lord, I, I haven't needed to do that. You know, it was Mark Twain who said, When I was 14 years old, I thought my father was a fool. By the time I was 21, I was amazed at how much he had learned in just the last seven years. Isn't that true? When you're 14 years old, you think your mom and dad are like, you know, Victorian or something, you know, like out to lunch. And then all of a sudden, when you're 21, you then have their perspective as well. Isn't it so true? There's a lot of wisdom in that saying. Well, anyway, that brings us to our third lesson this morning, and that is, we learn we live in a very wicked world. We learn that we live in a very wicked world. And listen, gang, things haven't changed all that much. We live in precisely the same world that so easily comes to terms with its sins and fails to see its wickedness. In fact, they've gone as far even today as accepting of sin, right? And listen, sin is sin. But I, and I don't want to like focus in on one particular sin here this morning, but how accepting we are as a culture of sin today. I want you to think about it. You fill in the blank. I mean, think about it. Here we're dealing with the subject of rape. And rape is hardly a unique event these days. Here after the fact, notice going back to our text, there was no hint of anybody doing wrong. When Hamar, Shechem's father, comes to propose the marriage to Jacob, there's not even an apology. 
because of what his son had done, right? Chapter 34 and verses 8 through 10. All it was is, please give your daughter to my son. He's placid. He's accepting of evil. Listen, let's get this in its proper perspective. There are no down and outers, any drifters that are a part of this story that's recorded for us here in chapter 34. These are the so-called good people. I mean, think about who Hamar was. He was the ruler of the area. He was very sophisticated. He was very civilized, right? But these so-called good people had no sense of their immorality. Does that sound familiar to any of us today? Listen, we need to be especially alert to the wickedness of this class of good society folk today. And we need to avoid them like the plague. Remember, it was the good and respectable folk who crucified our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as well. It was the Pharisees. It was the scribes, right? But listen, wickedness is not something the world of unbelievers has a corner on, a monopoly on. And that brings us to our next lesson. This would be the fourth. And that is, there's wickedness among those who profess to be believers. Let's get honest here, a little transparent. I mean, every one of us, think about it. There is this sin that's lying dormant within us, right? There's this continual battle that goes on between each and every one of us, the flesh against the spirit. Paul acknowledged this. He recognized this in Romans chapter 7, right? He deals with this entire subject in the book of Romans in chapter 7. He says, the thing that I know that I should do, I do it not, right? And he cries out in desperation, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? And praise God, he goes on to declare, you know, it's through Jesus Christ. And it's only through Jesus Christ. But every one of us has this dormant sin lying within us. The old man is always ready, if given the opportunity, to jump up once again upon the throne of our lives and take control. And we need to be aware of this. You know, I think the greatest of evils here fall and blame fall upon Jacob's sons. I mean, Shechem loved Dinah, we're told that. He wanted to do the right thing, right? He was going to marry her. And the family moved towards fellowship and friendship. There was some liaison going on here. But then you have the sons. You see, their prides were offended. They felt this offense was against them. And I can understand that. You know, the big brothers protecting their younger sister. You know how that goes, right? If you come from a family, a large family, and you have sisters, the boys like to defend their sister. If I, you know, if you ever hear of something, someone injuring your, your sister, man, you were there for them, right? You were ready to stand up for them. So in one respect, I can understand that. But they took it as far as they were offended by it, right? And their pride was offended. And they felt that this offense was against them. So therefore, they were determined to wreak vengeance, not merely upon Shechem and his family, but on the entire city. And moreover, they used religion to do it. You say, how is that? Well, notice in their plot, in their plan, 
Well, listen, and this is a fabrication. Well, you know what? Uh, yeah, we'll agree to this marriage, but uh, you know, you and every male within your city has to be circumcised. Now, what was, what was behind all of that? To weaken them. I don't need to even mention anything about it. I get chills when I mention the word circumcision. You know, the men were weakened. Three days, right? They couldn't defend themselves. They're just probably in their house, like, you know, lying on their couches and easy prey. And then the two brothers go in there with the sword and just slaughter everybody, right? But notice here, they used religion to accomplish their evil deed. What was circumcision all about? We've talked about this in, in some of our past studies. It was a sign of separation, right? The cutting away of the flesh and the things of the flesh. It, it signified that they were now a new people, that they were going to live after the things of the Spirit. It signified the cutting away of the flesh, the things of the world. They were sanctified, set apart for God. And so something that was supposed to be you know, such a, a good thing, what a gross misuse of that which was to be holy. And then in verses 25 through 29, they carried out their wicked plan. And they killed each and every last man there within the city. They plundered the city and they took away all of the women and the children. Listen, gang, listen to me. Don't allow pride. Isn't this exactly what the brothers were guilty of? Don't allow pride or anger to arouse any dormant sin that lies within you. And you can be sure that there is dormant sin that lies within you. You know, how many of us, just think about it, and I'm not going to ask you to lift up your hands, and it's not my intention to embarrass any one of you. But, you know, isn't it true, you know, someday you wake up and it's like any other day that you've ever woken up, and you're not even entertaining the thought, the idea of falling into sin, but guess what? You do, right? The truth be told, right? I'm not going to stand before you and lie. We're, we're sinners. The only thing that's different between you and any other sinner is that you're saved by grace. And that you have the capacity to be forgiven of your sin through Jesus Christ. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But you're going to sin. Now listen, I'm not giving anybody license to sin, but you're going to probably sin sometime in the future, right? If we say that we have no sin, the truth is not in us, and we deceive ourselves. That's what the Bible teaches us in John's epistle. But you weren't even entertaining the idea of sin. And then some temptation presents itself, and what happens? You fall into sin, right? Be careful, folks. There's a dormant sin that lies within each and every one of us. Don't allow anything, pride, anger, to arouse that dormant sin within now, that brings us to our fifth and our final lesson. And that is, God doesn't give up on us. And you know what? God, at this point, would have been just and right to give up on both Jacob as well as his sons. And just write them off, man. Blow them off for what they had done and how they had failed. But because, you know, because of the shameful incident that we've been talking about now for the last 40 minutes or so, but God continues to work in Jacob's life. Amazingly so. And Jacob is forced to leave the land. He didn't want him to stay in Shechem anyway. And so God brings this pressure upon Jacob and the rest of his immediate family. Notice what it says there. The Canaanites and the Perizzites, 
right? Jacob and his sons now are in fear of what they're, how they might retaliate because of this event. And so Jacob is forced to leave the land. Who's behind this whole thing? It's God. God's finally going to get him to the place where he wants him to go. So God continues to teach Jacob to develop his character. Remember, the initial response of Jacob was a mild rebuke, the mild rebuke of his sons. It was all about me. He was having a little pity party, right? Self-pity. And basically, the conversation between him and his brothers after the fact was, it was just out of fear for his own safety. But listen, God wanted to teach him a lesson. And obviously, it was a lesson that was learned in chapter 49 and verses 5 through 7, Jacob is on his deathbed, and he summons for all of his sons, which represent all of the tribes of Israel, and they're surrounding Jacob's deathbed. And he goes right around the circle, and he prophesies over each son. And when he gets to the sons that had perpetrated this evil deed, notice there in chapter 49 and verses 5 through 7, Simeon and Levi, remember these were the guys who killed all of the inhabitants of the city of Shechem, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. No mention of that when he first encountered them after this whole incident, right? It was all about him, right? He was only concerned about himself and how the people, the other people in the area would retaliate and seek to kill him and the members of his family. But now there's a change of heart. Obviously, he learned the lesson that God wanted him to learn. So Simeon and Levi are brothers. Now, around the circle, he's talking and prophesying over each one of his sons, and he now comes to Simeon and Levi. Our brothers, instruments of cruelty, are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger, they slew a man. And in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So that was the prophecy that was broadcast over these two sons. It was a little late, yes, no doubt. But notice, it was still finally recognized by Jacob the sin that was present within them. Listen, gang, this is what we need to take away from all of this. Remember, wickedness may be in any believer and remain. It may remain within us, even the best of Christians. But before it reveals itself in some evil, sinful act, let God do His work of regeneration, healing, as we yield ourselves to Him. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be oh, my When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. 
When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.